Hello and welcome to Tiger Kickoff, the podcast brought to you by the Columbia Missourian. I'm Nick Kelly, one of the Mizzou football writers at the Columbia Missourian, here alongside my colleagues Liam Quinn and Bennett Durando, and a special guest today from The Athletic, Peter Baugh. Peter, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, felt like just yesterday, it was two years ago, me, Tyler Kraft, Annie Rogers were kicking off the inaugural Tyler Tiger Kickoff podcast. Yeah, that's a good point. Peter is is part of the uh, iconic uh, lifeline, the the sort of the family tree of Missouri football beat writers, and and we did recreate a photo last week um, that was originally taken by Peter, Annie, and Tyler in in Lexington, and so we we were able to set it up pretty nicely. I thought it worked out well. Did we do it better though? I mean, we're all we're all pretty handsome, so you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I thought Bennett was doing a little too much. Nick was fine. He messed up the face. I thought my recreation was very tasteful. Bennett was actually, frankly, insulting the way he mocked my face. Um, uh, I will also say that it is kind of funny that the people in the background of the photo. I was in the background of the recreated photo. Alex Schiffer was in the background of the original photo. Now both of us work for the Athletic. So An incredible now, tribute. So now one of us will have to. Do that in two years, right? Yeah, one of you will have to stick around. And have to be at the Athletic. And we'll have to linger. Or be flown in, one of the two. One of the two. Yes. But speaking of that photo, it was taken at the Kentucky football game. Good Mizzou segue. is coming off a loss to Kentucky that I don't think any of us saw coming in the way it happened. Peter, we'll start with you. What did what happened there? Um. Well, I think, frankly, the offense has just fallen off the rails completely. I think defensively the team hasn't been great by any means. Um, but it's done defensively. They've probably done enough to win. It's all about the offense. Um, I found some. The offensive line has been really troubling. Uh, they've the past two games they've allowed .9 yards before contact uh, on running plays, which is 12th in the SEC, which is not very good. Uh, so pretty much they're not getting any push. The running game can't get going. Kelly Bryant doesn't look comfortable in the pocket, and then when he throws good passes, the receivers drop them, uh, which leads to putting up not very many points. Sums yeah. it up. We're, <laughs> we're yeah, done. No, uh, that's it. Uh, thanks for thanks for listening. Thanks uh, for having me. Thanks, Peter, for ruining <laughs> our podcast. <laughs> well, and you you make a good point about the offense, but I I think unlike Vanderbilt, where there was a bit of a positive caveat with the way the defense played generally, I I was not that impressed by the defense. First of all, I mean. Sacks and tackles for a loss may not be the best way to measure their success, but they only they didn't have a sack again. Um, they have one in the last two games after some of the impressive pass rush numbers that they were putting up the first few games of the season. I I'm pretty I'm pretty concerned about the pressure that they're getting, especially against running quarterbacks. It it's just a very strange like niche thing for for a running quarterback to be the Achilles heel of Missouri's defense. I I don't know. Yeah, their run defense has had some some trouble, especially against Kentucky. And granted, they were facing Lindbone Jr., who, no matter where he is in the field, he's going to make plays. But for them, they had so much trouble defending him, whether it be making tackles, whether it be being in the right position. Just there were there were so many things that went wrong. I think they I think I heard they had like like thirteen missed tackles, some number around there. I mean, it was. It was not a good game for them, and when you get ran over like that, I mean, there's nothing more demoralizing as a defense 
when you're and then your offense isn't putting up any points and can't move the ball, it's no wonder they're frustrated and no wonder they struggled. Yeah. But I, I would also say I like I completely agree with both of you that the defense hasn't been good. Like I think it was pr- pretty solid against Vanderbilt. I think it was pretty eh against Kentucky. But I I would also say the defense did enough to win in a lot of ways because if you look at the points that Kentucky had, they put up 29 points. Um, a big chunk of that yardage on one of the touchdown drives came on special teams with the fake punt. Mm-hmm. And then in a touchdown came off a turnover in the red zone that Kelly Bryant had. So that's kind of tough to come back from. That's like 14 points right there. I'm, I'm with you on that, Peter. I think, you know, the defense has had two, I guess, bad games, we'll call them, one of them being Kentucky, the other being uh, Wyoming. And in that game, they were the victim to big plays. Um, and I thought in the second half, the defense looked much better against Kentucky. I think, you know, while it wasn't great, like you said, I don't think it's their fault they lost the game. They did, they did do enough to win. I think the offense is the problem, and Kelly Bryant is now officially in a slump. Um, two straight <laughs> terrible games for him, and he said after the loss to Vanderbilt that he was probably scrambling too quickly and not going through his reads, but then he didn't fix that against Kentucky. He did it again. You can see he looks a little gun-shy, and part of that's because of the poor performance of the offensive line, but you know he's taking one read. If it's not there, he's scrambling, and now he's dealing with a hamstring injury, and he had to leave the game. And it, and it started I, in Vanderbilt. He was inaccurate a little in the first quarter, if you remember the first couple series of that game, and it almost looked like that was a turning point for the worse for him because he that's when you start to notice him being more eager to scramble right away. I mean, he, like you said, Liam, if the first read is not there, if the first option is not there at receiver, he's become far more likely to try and escape the pocket and do some himself, which just is not going to hold up with the way that this offensive line has been playing. And and to the point of the defense also, Barry Odom didn't really do him any favors with probably the worst coaching decision of this season so far against Kentucky. Um to use the timeout at the end of the first half, down 15 nothing at that point. Kelly Bryant gets sacked. It's third and eight at your own 27-yard line, 40 seconds left. He still calls the timeout, still thinking maybe they could make something happen with a pretty hapless offense that hadn't scored all half, and it turns into a catastrophe. Strip sack, touchdown two plays later. There's a face mask, two on the defense in those couple of plays that led to Kentucky's touchdown. So it just, it seems like everything that can go wrong does go wrong. It's like a snowballing effect of lack of discipline, lack of the right decision-making. You know, I, it, I there's, there's no real word for that when it's something collapses as much as it did right there. Murphy's Law, that's what they call that. And a questionable decision also sending two returners back on the punt. Uh, you know that that punter is going to run around, and he had... He had all sorts of space open in front of him because they had two guys back. Uh, another thing is Albert Okwebenam has just been a non-factor these past two games. He had one touchdown against Vanderbilt, but outside the red zone. Um, that was his only catch in the two games, right? Yeah, and outside the red zone, I think he had two against Vanderbilt. But outside the red zone, he's been been pretty bad. I mean, he's caught, he's caught 60% of his catchable passes outside the red zone. Um, which is the lowest rate for any SEC player with more than 20 targets. So he's not catching the ball reliably. Uh, it looks like he's been open on plays and Bryant hasn't looked to him, which is not a good sign. Um, he hasn't blocked particularly well, and the plays don't seem to be being drawn up for him. So I don't know what the 
answers to that. If you Barry Odom said yesterday on the teleconference, maybe you try and force it to him a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have a guy who's supposed to be this amazing tight end who really has not shown it uh, for 80 yards of the field. I mean, yeah, and you know, how often are you going to have a preseason first team All American on your team? He gets one target against Kentucky, and you know, I don't know if he was still feeling the effects of that hard hit he had against Vanderbilt or what. You know, he was only targeted once, and he he dropped it. And to be fair, it was a wet ball. You know, but still, I mean, yeah, he's got he's got to make that catch. But they're not they seem they're not using him anymore. And it and it, it it's mind boggling to me that even if he's not been the player you've expected him to be, you still have to try to get the ball to him. And yesterday was the second straight week that Barry has has said something to the extent of maybe we need to force the ball to him more. Is that Derek Dooley's play calling? Do you th- how much of it is him? How much? It's it's hard to place blame. Is blame even the right word? I don't know, but it it's hard to sort of diagnose what the problem is there. If 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 Dooley's playbook just is not designed to go to a tight end as much, or or what the issue is there. I think it comes down to trust, and that's trust between Derek Dooley and Albert Okawebunam and Kelly Bryan and Albert Okawebunam. We talked about how they have not been. Or, Kelly's not been looking to Albert as much. And I think part of that could be that Albert hasn't shown that he can make all these catches in those 80 yards like Peter mentioned. And so I I think that for Albert to get targeted more, he's going to have to prove it when he does get his opportunities. And he's at the point now, unfortunately, that he might not get as many opportunities. So when he does get his opportunities, he has to make the most of them. Otherwise, we're not going to maybe see him targeted as much, whether that's because... Derek Dooley doesn't want to throw him the ball, or Kelly Bryant wants to look to another option because Kelly clearly trusts Jonathan Nance and Jonathan Johnson. The Jonathans. Right. <laughs> Something about the name Jonathan, apparently. And so at this point, it's clear that those are the guys that Kelly trusts, and whether or not Albert can get back into that fold remains to be seen. So what you're saying is he should change his name to Jonathan Oakley, but not. <laughs> <laughs> That's a ring to it. That's a ring. <laughs> now, that'd be a lot of letters. Yeah. Peter, isn't there a favorite play that Missouri used to run for Okawebenam under Heupel, the the yeah. straight through the flat. It was a great play. He would like block for a minute, or not a, not a full minute, a figurative. A moment. A moment. He would block for a moment, and then he would run up the middle, and every single time, I kid you not, it, this was the year when he set the, I think, Mizzou receiving touchdown record. Every single time it worked. He was wide open over the middle, and they'd hit him, and it would be great. Uh, but that has not made it into Derek Dooley's playbook which is, I guess, fine if you're having other ways of getting him the ball. Um, but he hasn't, and Alberts hasn't done himself any favors because he leads the team in drops. Although Cam Scott might now after last game. Yeah, that, that was a tough game. A lot of drops last game. Two, I think two for Scott, two for Jacinto, who never gets yeah. targets. Tough tough luck for our guy Cam Scott. There were like four drops. Maybe only two got counted, but yeah. he, there were a few more. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to wonder, because there has been that, that shift to Cam Scott over Jalen Knox, whereas Jalen Knox started the year, you have to wonder if maybe we see a little bit of a tweak to that after this bye week, that maybe Jalen will be back, and maybe Cam has less snaps. Well, I think, I think the... Sort of the problem they face at wide receivers, they don't quite have the talent they had had in previous years. There's no Emmanuel Hall, who at his best was a dynamic playmaker, you know. And I think, you know, part of the reason they like Scott is because he's so fast. And we've seen him break off these long receptions with a lot of yards after catch. So, I mean, they don't quite have the playmaking ability at the receiving position outside of tight end, which they're not using. So I think that's sort of explained the the Scott renaissance. Mm-hmm. Um and 
it, and now it's not working either. So they're just, they seem to be running out of options. Yeah. And I, I mean, I would argue that uh, Scott is the most talented receiver on the roster. He's mm-hmm. like, he's fast. He can, well, sometimes he can catch uh, when the ball's not wet. But he, I would argue he's the most talented playmaker they have. So that's why I don't think they go back to Knox. Yeah, and he's got length too. I mean, he's he's isn't he the tallest receiver uh, other than Justin Smith? But Justin Smith yeah. isn't on the field as much. At the beginning of the year, I I because I think a lot of people group Knox and Scott together, having come in that same recruiting class, and they both would sort of have the occasional big moment last year, and then and then disappearing, fly under the radar for a while. And so we knew that they were both going to emerge this year. There's a, probably a little bit of a healthy competition that should play out between them for their entire college careers. And I said at the beginning of the year that I thought Cam Scott had the higher potential in the long run, and that might be a little bit of a bias in that he sort of is more of an Emmanuel Hall mold of receiver, and we saw how effective Hall could be last season. But I I agree, he's got, I think he's just got the more athletic potential with his length, with his speed, with his ability to make plays after he's got the catch, But, but making the catch might just be the problem for him. So what you're saying is he should change his name to Jonathan. <laughs> How many times are you going to pull that one? <laughs> we'll see if there's another opportunity. We'll see, yeah, we'll get you one. <laughs> well, I will, I will say there there used to be a Steelers offensive tackle like 10 years ago named Jonathan Scott, and he was terrible. So I don't know if that's a good idea. It's not always Isn't that always one of the property fruit. brothers? <laughs> but, but they weren't using Jonathan Scott in the passing game. If they had used him yeah. as a receiver, he might have been better. <laughs> Yeah, well, that probably would have gone as well as using Yaya might in the receiving game. So I, I don't know. Who scored on that play? <laughs> they, they did. They did. <laughs> and that actually brings me to another point. The use of Tyler Beatty, I've kind of wondered about because they've they have trended away from using him as much as Larry Roundtree recently. And I have to wonder, not necessarily using Tyler between the tackles, but with a guy that's that athletic and that shifty to try to get him into open space and try to use him like they did on that touchdown. Mm-hmm. I have to think maybe they need to try to get a little more creative with Tyler at some point. And I don't know why they didn't use him more last game. It's a rainy day. You know, the deep passes are going to be very few and far between. That Their one successful offensive play was that play to Beatty, and I don't think they tried it again after it turned into a 70-yard touchdown. And when you're at a shortage of receiver playmaking ability, like we've been talking about, and Beatty is seemingly the guy who is designed to make catches out of the backfield, why not give him some more chances? Because we saw how explosive he can be, and I feel like people probably might have forgotten that because we hadn't seen him much the past few games, but, I mean, that was a legitimately great touchdown run by Beatty on that screen. I also have been kind of surprised at kind of sometimes when they've used Beatty over Roundtree in, like, short yardage situations. That baffles me a little bit because I think I honestly don't place— I know the running game has really floundered the past few games, but I don't put much of that blame on the running backs. I don't think Beatty or Roundtree has really done anything wrong. I think sometimes there are times I think Beatty could run forward instead of maybe dancing around a bit. Um, But other than that, I think they've been, like, pretty solid. I'm sure there are plays you could nitpick, but I think it all comes down to the blocking that they haven't had. Um I think that's why they've struggled. And I think at the end of the day, each of those two has has their skill set, what they're good at, and what you're talking about, the usage doesn't always make sense. Now, you can't always run when Larry's on the field and then pass when Tyler's on the field because then the defense would know what you're doing. But some of the usage has been confusing, and I think they just need to be intentional and creative with their usage of Tyler. I, I agree, though, with your point, Peter, that 
They they there have been some goal line situations where they've gone with Beatty, where Roundtree seems like the obvious choice, and then maybe vice versa. You need to change things up. Try Beatty a little more against Kentucky, and it seemed like they weren't doing that enough. So, I maybe you there. I, we obviously have a different perspective on that than than a coach does in the booth or wherever it may be. But but yeah, the something about the usage between the two seems a little wonky. And and when it comes to blame, also it. We should look at this big picture because Missouri's suddenly five and three. They might be staring at five and five with Georgia on the road next week, and then Florida at home the week after that. A lot of people have have sort of gone after Barry Odom. I'm curious to hear your opinion on this, Peter, having been around covering this team for a while too. But I, it's a, it's an interesting place to be in when he has progressed every year as their head coach in terms of win-loss record at least um but now they're looking at potentially the first time in his four years that that they do not do that they might regress they might be looking at seven five or even six and six yeah this is kind of fascinating to me because barry odom right now um you look at this year lined up perfectly for him he got a graduate transfer quarterback who's one of the top on the market his defense had a lot more experience um the offense had some pieces coming back uh it really looked like he had and most importantly the schedule was about as easy as you can get if you're in the sec um you have a down Ole miss team and a really bad arkansas team um and for six games it looked like they were on the verge of taking advantage of that they had Obviously, the they kind of laid an egg against Wyoming, but then they won five in a row and looked really solid. Um, what what I think is, I think there's obviously going to be a lot of clamoring for the Fireberry Odom uh, train, and I frankly don't see it happening. Um, I think if he goes seven and five, considering all the factors of how good this season could have been, I would think that he'll be the hot. The seat will be a little warmer going into next season. It'll be like 82 degrees, I would say. Like, just not quite comfortable. Very but specific. Not you, 83? Not it's like it's like you're driving in the summer and you forgot your seat warmers Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's a little sweaty down there. <laughs> um, but so, this, just, this just took a turn. Um, if, it, if he goes 6-6, six and six, I think... I don't think he gets fired, but I think there's a chance. And part of the reason I don't think he gets fired is because I think Missouri right now is going to have a really, really hard time drawing a better head coach because of you look at these recruiting restrictions um you look at all the hoops that all the coaches will have to go through to like get players on campus for visits um with the ncaa violations i don't think that they're going to have a it's going to be tough to draw a bigger name than barry odom or a better coach than barry odom right now because not many people are going to be that interested in coming to mizzou someone asked me on uh on my live q a the other day they asked if uh Mark Stoops or Mike Leach would would come here. I said, absolutely not. Like Mizzou is not drawing a big name coach. It's just not happening. Um, there's not the historical foundation. There's the recruiting. Well, Les Miles did go to Kansas. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. Um, but the fact of the matter is, I don't. I just don't see it happening where Barry Odom is able to lose his job considering all the outside factors with the NCAA. And stuff. I, I also don't know what firing Barry Odom right now would do. You know, like, there's not, I wouldn't say there's, like, a bona fide better option out there that's going to come here or that's even available right now. You know, maybe two years ago when Les Miles was still available, maybe you, you know, try to shell out for him. But even that looked impractical at the time. So it's been a very tough season for Mizzou. 
but I don't know what firing Barry Odom right now will accomplish. I think this is, team is still sort of in transition. I don't think anybody really expected, you know, contention for the division this season, even with Kelly Bryant. So I, I, I get the frustration, and we saw a lot of the same old mistakes last week. But, I, I mean, these two upcoming games after the bye week are huge. Georgia and Florida, two games where they're almost certainly going to be underdogs in. If Barry can win one, I think that changes a lot of people's view because it's it'll one it'll salvage the season and it'll be a signature win. And two, I just think people have sort of gotten into the rut now that they've lost two winnable games in a row. If they can win one of these, I think people are talking people the conversation around Barry Odom becomes a lot different the other thing to keep in mind is I'm I'm a believer that the players opinions are probably the ones that matter the most Mm -hmm. and it is sort of impressive how much this roster stands by Barry Odom and how much they seem to genuinely love him as a coach I that that always strikes me and and that's not just because of of Tristan Colon Castillo's quotes the last couple weeks. He he is always a good quote, but you talk to guys or just away from it all, and and the sense is that they really do love Odom, and and there are issues within the program. It seems like right now, but I think that's something that can't be discounted. At least as you have to have a roster that's going to buy into the at least the possibility that they can turn things around in situations like this. And Odom has been great at turning sinking ships around in the past. So we'll see how these next few weeks go. Yeah, one last quick thing on him is I think Odom, when he took the job, also came into just a really hard situation in the fact that first-time head co- or first time head coaches often don't do well in college football. And this was his first head coaching job ever. Uh, besides coaching Rockbridge. So I think he has been learning on the job for the past like three, four years. And I think what maybe is disappointing for Mizzou fans is that you kind of felt after last year like he had gotten to the point where he had figured out the little things, he'd figured out how to win a little bit. And I think he's still learning a little bit. And I think that I'm kind of of the mindset that this isn't the season to fire Odom because you, I, I think he's you're not going to get anyone better. Uh, he's still learning and I guess this really only his first season with his guys on the roster uh, that he recruited. And the sanctions, if they do, you know, are the, they're upheld. You know, there's there might be turnover, and you don't want a new coach, which could create even more turnover. Exactly. Well, speaking of difficult situations, that's going to do it for our Mizzou football talk. We are going to play our signature game, player or professor. Peter Baugh, are you ready? Oh, I am ready. He's been ready all season. He's been asking me about this. I have. I've been so oh. excited to play this game. He's and been practicing, and he's been training, and he seems I, ready to go. I have the Mizzou staff directory just memorized. Wow. There's, like, probably over a 1,000 yeah, no people problem. on staff here. Okay. Well, so since it's a bye week, and as you know, we've done a couple of special editions of this game, so this week is no different than those special editions because since there is no opponent, uh, we decided to do... 1997 Mizzou player or MU professor. Now, why 1997, you ask? Well, that is the year our distinguished guest was born. I'm glad I'm distinguished. That makes me feel, feel we very say, good. We say that about all the guests. Also, Barry Odom was on that team as a linebacker. He, why did you say? 
You stole his thunder, Bennett. No, I'm sorry, I no, didn't I'm mean kidding. to steal. Oh, that was one of the <laughs> options <laughs> I never would have guessed. That was that was. Yeah, yeah that. I would have been like, is Barry Odom an adjunct professor right now? Is he teaching like? Honestly, a- yeah, it could have been some mind game. I think Mike Leach is a professor at Washington State. Yeah. Second Mike well, Leach. Well, to clear up any confusion before the game starts, Barry Odom is not listed on the staff uh, the staff catalog, so uh, I guess it's a little different here. So what do you got for us, Liam? Well, what do I have for you? Well, how about we start off with David Emrick or Brian Crawcraft, and we'll start with Nick. David Emrick is the professor, and the other dude is the player. Nick is correct. Crawcraft was a really great player for Mizzou. I've got to say Crawcraft was the player, yeah. Very confident. I, I, I agree. Yeah. Well, you're all correct. Yeah, of course. Hey. I, I remember Crawcraft. <laughs> you do, yeah. Oh, yeah. As, a, as an infant. <laughs> as an infant. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorites. <laughs> His parents talked about him all the time. Oh. <laughs> all right, so you each get a point there. Brian Crawcraft was a defensive lineman on the 97 team, and David Emmerich is, teaches agricultural biochemistry. Didn't know that was a thing. Shout out to our guy Emmerich. Yeah, thank you for your name. Uh, ne- <laughs> next up, uh, and Bennett will start us off, or you no, know, Peter will start us off this time. Uh, Harold Piercy or Joseph Haslig? Harold is definitely a professor's name. Okay. So. And I, of course, remember Hasley so, as a player <laughs> from my infant ha- days. Haslig. Uh, yes, yes, yes. From my infant days, I remember that. Has What's Haslig's first name? Joseph. I think I'm going to go with Joseph Haslig as the professor. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just because it would be funny if Peter's false confidence uh, came back to bite him. I'm going to join Bennett on this one. So you say Haslig is the player, yes. is the professor. All right. Peter Bob yeah. to 2-1 lead now. Uh, actually, no. Joseph <sighs> Haslig teaches <Tough> economics, <laughs> and Harold Piercy was a defensive back. Oh, my guy June, who teaches economics here, he probably knows Haslig. Mm-hmm. You must have gotten them confused. Somehow. Yes, yes. It, it, it happens. <laughs> it happens for you diehard fans of the 1997. Uh, Great team. Those Larry Smith teams. <laughs> they were 7-5. and five. <laughs> uh, Okay, Sean Ireton or Cliff Smith? I think Cliff Smith is a professor. Well, then it was supposed to go first, but thank you for... <laughs> Sean Ireton, you said? Yeah. Or Cliff Smith, and you said Cliff Smith is a professor? I, I feel like I recognize that name. Cliff Smith? I think Cliff, I like the name. It's fun to say. I think Cliff Smith was a player. Okay. I'm going to say Cliff Smith is a professor. Okay. Well, Cliff Smith, uh, a name that everyone seems to like, was an offensive lineman. Uh, so Bennett, I'm alone. the only one who got it right, Sean Ireton, he is in German and Russian studies. Not really sure why they blend those two languages together. They're not that similar. Guten Tag. Um, <laughs> I uh, will say that Bennett has been using illegal luck methods. I plucked an uh, eyelash from his forehead, and they say that that's good luck if, if you have an eyelash on your forehead. That was very weird, Peter. <laughs> it's next next to, one, Liam. Next one. Yeah, it's yeah, three yeah. to two to let's one. Let's move on. Uh, David Mandy or Rob Riddy? Mandy, of course. Uh, great, great Barry Manilow song. I'm going to say that David Mandy is the professor and Rob is the player. Rob Riddy? Mm-hmm. Rob Riddy and David Mandy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what did you say? I I said David's the professor. David Mandy. Rob. 
Yeah, I feel like Rob Riddy would be the player. Yeah, I'm going to agree with Nick. Okay. So I was going to agree with them, but seeing as I need to make up ground, I'm going to take the risky strategy and do Mandy as the player, even though I don't believe it. Okay, well, uh, Peter, you came and you gave without taking. Uh, David Mandy was the professor. So you guys took the point there. Uh, Shout out to all you that understood that reference. Um, Rob Brady was an offensive lineman. David Mandy teaches economics. So why all the, I, you needed to throw in some like English professors. I would have known some of them. Well, that's why I, I didn't, because I know your command is, is superb, so I knew you might have a good chance. Do we have any journalism professors like Michael Nisley on here? Who's that? <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> oh, Michael Nisley. <laughs> uh, Isn't it pronounced Knisley? It's <laughs> <laughs> a good question. I, I've never hey, heard hey, of Don't him. insult the only person that listens to our podcast. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, final All right. question. So, Peter, you're out of it. You got one point, but you can still play. <laughs> I'm playing for pride. Because, is, it, is this one worth 100? Because the last question no. is worth 100 points. Let's oh! go. <laughs> In true player-professor uh, uh, tradition, so but Nick, you've got two points. Bennett's got four, and Peter... As one Bennett trying for the perfect game, but I could get up to one hundred and one. You could, you could. So uh, I guess we will have Bennett go first this time because he's in the lead. So that way he can't just take the same, you know. All right, here we go. Craig Heimberger or Greg Blomquist. <laughs> Craig Heimberger. Heimberger. Or Greg. Sorry, these are complex names. I Greg, need to... Greg Blomquist. Greg Blomquist is the player. I'm going to say Greg Blomquist is the professor. I'm also going to say Greg's the professor because I think anyone whose name ends in burger should pr- is probably a lineman. So, <laughs> well, that is that a good is point. Exactly right. That's Craig a good point. Heinberger is an offensive lineman. Let's go. Greg Blomquist is in anthropology. So that means Nick. Is our winner Peter silver is second, medal silver, and first first loser? And as I well no, but as the phrase goes, first is the worst, second is the best. I'll happily take the pride of being last place in this stupid game, even though I got the most questions correct. <laughs> this is such a salty classic <laughs> Bennett response. <laughs> so here are your final scores: Nick one hundred and two, Peter one hundred and one, Bennett. Or <laughs> See, Bennett, that is what we call a blowout. <laughs> so, uh, Nick, uh, why don't you take a second to, uh, I don't know, say whatever you want. <laughs> well, I, I spent a week away from being the champ. I, last week in the podcast, two I was weeks. hyped up. Two weeks. Okay, well, week two weeks. Before, I went five for five. I was, I was hyped up as the champ, and I didn't meet that hype, but we're back. We're back. Just like Texas, Sam Ellinger. We're back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. Um, you can cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't edit this. <laughs> but that will do it for this edition of Tiger Kickoff, the podcast. Thank you, Peter Baugh of The Athletic, for joining us. Anything to plug, Peter? Um. Well, shout out to my mom. Great woman. Uh, shout out to my dad, my dog, my sister. Thanks for having me. Uh, subscribe. www.theathletic.com. <laughs> And I'd like to wish a happy birthday to my friend, Bennett Durando. And for my birthday, please subscribe to the Missourians Tiger Kickoff, the podcast on Apple Podcasts. And The Athletic on theathletic.com. But if yeah, you can yeah, only whatever. pick one, the podcast. <laughs> no comment. 
Well, that will do it for this edition of Tiger Kick Off the Podcast. Thanks, Peter, for joining us. Ah, thank you, you. family man, uh, it sounds like. But for Bennett Durando and Liam Quinn and Peter Baugh, I'm Nick Kelly. Until next time.